Word 2014. This is the Hermetic Hour. I'm your host, Pope Runyon. And tonight we present a special program discussing the OTA's path workings beyond the sphere of Hesed. Now, these paths lead to the remanifested sphere of Da'at, which in the 11th sphere tree becomes Saturn. The beginning of the physical universe and the gateway to the abyss. Now, this concept and its practical applications are covered in New Tarot Trumps for an 11th Spirit Tree of Life in the 7th Ray, Book 3, the Red Ray. We will also discuss the Golden Dawn's 11th Spirit Tree and the idea of the tree before and after the fall. Now, this is a key lecture and lesson in our study program, so tune in and we will journey to Moch back or beyond. Now, the guest call-in number, in case anyone is moved to call in, but please keep it on topic. The guest call-in number is 347 857 
by different, you know, by a succession of symbolisms, we advance upward in a succession of lessons, succession of experiences, succession of initiations, and we advance upward using the tree as a template. And in the, in that particular uh, aspect, we draw this uh, this demarcation line through above Hesed on the pillar of mercy and of course right across the way uh, on the left side in the pillar of severity is Gomorrah and then right above them is this demarcation line called the abyss and then above that we have the two spheres of the Briatic dimension that's the archetypal dimension where it's zero below it is the formative dimension. We got another one of these divisions down, down through uh, Yassad down to bottom. Yassad extends down to Yassad, and uh, that that demarcation line goes through Yassad actually, and then so the bottom half of Yassad and Malkuth are in what we call a Shia. Now um, that's the physical dimension. I know this is all kind of unless you're really into Kabbalah, this is confusing. But I gotta mention it because uh we've got a situation here where we've done these path workings. We've worked these paths all the way up and then of course in our system we we don't just work the path, we work the spirit that the path goes to. And uh one of the um one of those I wouldn't say call it a shortcoming. Let's call it a an imbalance in the hermetic system is that too much emphasis is placed on the path symbolism and not enough on the sphere symbolism. And that's um, perhaps well, we could blame Elvis Levy on for that if we wanted to. But uh, uh, so what we do, we've corrected that to an extent. So when we do a path working, we don't just work the path. We work the path and the sphere that the path goes to. Now, when we do the lower paths, as you remember, because we've been through all of these on this program, we've, we've devoted one program to each one of these paths going up. And we're already up, did the 19th, and uh, they go on up, of course, to to, to the first and to the zero path, what uh, all the way up to the uh, top of the tree, and we're up to the 19th, and that's the, the path that goes from Kabura uh, on the pillar of severity over to to Hesed over on the pillar of mercy. It's a lateral path. And we're above that now. So now we're at the point where, at least in the OTA, in the ORC, uh, we're at the point where we are getting ready to, to getting prepared to go to another point like Yassad, where the abyss goes through a sphere that in the ten sphere tree called Da'ath, Da'ath means knowledge, that's the sphere of knowledge. And in the ten sphere tree that we've been working in the outer order, in that ten sphere tree, Da'ath is usually represented by a dotted line, a dotted circle, and it's said to be hypothetical. Well, of course, you know. Actually, when you get right down to it, all the spheres are hypothetical. So this one is ultra-hypothetical. And and in here, there's concepts, capitalistic concept operating, that is important to understand 
in order to understand the whole idea of the abyss and and uh, and that's a concept called the tree before the fall and the tree after the fall. Now, when I say the fall, I mean the capital V. Fall, capital F-A-L-L-B, fall, the fall from grace, the fall from the paradise of the Garden of Eden, the fall of mortal man into sin and all the rest of that biblical stuff. But in in hermetic philosophy, we do not consider that fall to be a fall into sin necessarily. We consider it to be a certain amount of devolvement into the physical. It's it's a it's a measure of devolvement. Evolved toward the spiritual, you devolve toward the physical. And I think we've discussed this before, and that's a that's a extensive subject, so I'm not going to get back into it. Uh, uh, but it's not really a moral issue, except that if you keep devolving, you're eventually going to end up as a rock, and that's not so good. So if you want to consider it moral in that respect, all right. So it's better to keep. It's better to slowly and leisurely evolve than it is to go out and make a wastrel of yourself and and, and devolve. <laughs> it, uh, let's don't talk morality here, but let, let's just talk uh, metaphysics, all right? So, uh, this, this uh, fall, supposedly, of the tree is that that in the original tree, before the fall, Da'af existed. It was not just hypothetical or ultra-hypothetical. It was really hypothetical. It was real, Uh, or at least as far as much as a symbolic sphere can be real. So it existed, and that means that the the tree was essentially 11 spheres because Da'af is right smack in the middle, on the middle pillar, and it's between... Uh, it's above uh, Gabor and Hesed uh, in the middle pillar, and it's below Hokma uh, and Bina, and below Tether, and there it is. And and so the abyss or demarcation line runs right through it, just like the the dimensional line runs through the bottom of Yisrael. And there's another little line that they call the veil of the sanctuary that goes above Tipperet, but that's really not the structural. That's more. That's more. That's more of a spiritual uh, proposition. These, the ones that we're, we're talking about, are dimensionally structural. They, they, they have structured dimensions. Now, so the tree before the fall is an eleven sphere tree. Now, I'm not talking at this point. I'm not talking anything that's just something that the OTA came up with. This is this is uh, this traditional Kabbalah, and also the Golden Dawn, by the way, had an eleven sphere tree. They had it in the cipher manuscript. They had two different versions of it. Now uh, they got it from Isaac Luria, the uh, the version of Isaac Luria that Kenor von Rosenroth uh, copied into Latin back in fifty something or other, and. They so they 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 knew they needed an eleven sphere tree, so they took one of um, one of uh, Luria's many 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 designs. Luria Luria had all kinds of tree designs, and uh, and they put a couple of them in there, and they even put uh, they even put assignments. They 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 ended up putting their signing Hebrew letters and, and to it and everything else. However, uh, 
they did this, I think, without too much thought behind it. They just said, okay, here's an Illyria, here's a Luria lemmosphere tree. We know we need the lemmosphere tree, so let's uh, let's put the uh, the letters on the baths in some kind of order. And I uh, stuck it in the Cypher manuscript later, by the way. It's a later edition of the Cypher manuscript, probably post-McKenzie. And, and um, so I want to point out to you that, and we're going to read, I'm going to read a, the article that we have in the Cypher manuscript book explaining this so we get all our technical stuff correctly. But, but I want to explain to you that tree of, there, there are any, there there are lots and lots of different versions of the tree of life, both 11-sphere versions and 10-sphere and versions, lots of different versions. And the version that we use, uh, that most everybody uses, uh, is the Athanasius Kircher version. Athanasius Kircher was a Jesuit, by the way, uh, who dabbled in hermeticism, and he came up with a version of the tree, which which uh, which is what the Golden Dawn uses and calls the Minuta Mundum. Now, it's a 10-sphere tree, and uh, and it's valid, it's good, and it's, it's, it's oh, a lot of people use it. We use it for, we use it for outer order work, and we go and we'll get into the use of it uh, in the Holy Guardian Angel Retreat in a little bit, but uh, when it comes to the 11-sphere tree, which when you get up to the abyss, that's when you need to work to go over into the 11-sphere tree. Now, I'm not going to say that the Golden Dawn did that because we've got all kinds of Golden Dawn documents, but we have never been able to find, and if Pat Celeste's listening somehow or other, Pat, have you ever discovered a flying roll for the 11-sphere tree. I don't think so. I ask you that time and time again when we were doing a cipher book. Nobody, they didn't, they didn't develop it. So that was something they didn't do, but it is logical that when you get up to the abyss, that's when you're going to need to manifest the tree before the fall. Why is this? Well, because Saturn is the beginning of the physical universe. And the way the tree is configured the after-the-fall figure, Da'ath fell, fell, became leaving a hypothetical hole in the middle, and it falls down to either Yasod or Malkuth, whichever way you want to look at it. And, and this leaves Saturn, when you start marching your way up and numbering the, the, the spheres, it puts Saturn in Bina in Bria. But Saturn is supposed to be the beginning of the physical universe in the Cubist bridge, huh? So what's going on here? Well, what's going on here is quite simply, this is the tree after the fall. So you can't get to, you have to cross the abyss to get to the Saturn, which is the beginning of the physical universe. That doesn't make any sense. It, unless you see, okay, we get to the abyss, and that means we have to start using the 11th sphere tree. Now, how do we, what kind of a, what kind of a pattern, if you're going to do an 11 sphere tree, how are you going to, how are you going to set this thing up and make sure it works? And is there a key to constructing, laying out various versions of the tree of life? Well, yes, there is. And the key, and I'm going to, um, I'm going to get into, I'm going to get into the, the article that we have in the seventh ring, 
and I'll read that to you. It's not too long. So you'll understand the construction of the of the 11th sphere tree and exactly what's going on. And then after that, and we get that digested, we're going to go over and we're going to get the Cypher Manuscript book, and we're going to... We're going to see just exactly how a tree is laid out and, and what the what the key to it is. All right, so I'm going to read from the seventh ray here. This is, by the way, this is the red ray. People want to get on Amazon, and you want to get on Amazon, and you go, and you go, the seventh ray, book three, the red ray, and it'll take you right to it. And uh, so here we go. During the past 30 years, we have witnessed an explosion of tarot card designs. We have been offered tarots from Aztec to Zen, always within the 22 major trunk format dictated by the traditional design of the Kabbalistic Tree of Life. But with the arrival of the new millennium, the hypothetical sphere of Doth is finally manifested, and we need... New Tarot Trumps for an 11-Sphere Tree of Life by Frater Thamion. You know who Frater Thamion is, okay. In the Golden Dawn's original cipher manuscript, the Tree of Life shown was not this 1652 Athanasius Kircher design we are familiar with, but a strange 11-Sphere pattern connected by 22 paths with no horizontals bridging the spheres. Nearly all of the tarot and the Hebrew letter-to-path attributions differed from the standard GD scheme. The origin of this unusual version of the Otkheim can be traced to Knorr von Rosenroth's Kabbalah de Nudata, 1677, and attributed to the school of Isaac Luria, who is referred to as the Ahari. The Golden Dawn's founders did not base their outer order initiatory tarot attributions on this Lurianic scheme. From grades 1 through 10 through 4 equals 7, they stayed with the 10-sphere culture arrangement. The 11-sphere tree was conjectured to represent the tree of life before the fall. For more details ground of this curious configuration, see Appendix 2, the Cipher Manuscript Secret Path System, in my book, Secrets of the Golden Dawn Cipher Manuscript, which we will read a little later. Since I first began to contemplate the Kabbalah some 30 years ago, I have, that's 40 years now, I have enjoyed a fascination with the hypothetical sphere of Da'af knowledge. If you saw it as the gateway to the Olam Yetzira, that's the astral world of formation, then Da'at is the portal of the abyss, beyond which lies the Olam Bria, the archetypal world. Eventually, this abyss must be crossed. So why is Da'at considered hypothetical? Well, for that matter, the whole tree is hypothetical. So Da'at is either there or it is not there. I suspect Doth's hypotheticality results from a timid adherence to the rejoinder in the venerable Sephiroth of Zura that ten are the numbers out of nothing, not nine and not eleven. And of course, we must not forget 
but most of us were born with ten fingers and ten toes, none of which are hypothetical. And for this reason, and because eleven fell one short of twelve, the number of perfection, you know, there are twelve disciples, twelve months, twelve signs of the zodiac, and twelve days of Christmas, and the number eleven was cursed with a bad reputation. Isaac Luria was not affected by this superstition. Crowley was intrigued by it, and I find the dynamic instability of 11 to have fascinating possibilities. Doth is the stargate, the wormhole, the time warp, the dimensional rift, the cliff at the edge of the world, the jumping off place. But we would hardly want to internalize an entirely different tree of life in order to access this elusive sphere. Now, with this in mind, and with the happy coincidence of having an OTA magical alphabet of 24 letters, I set out to create an 11-sphere tree of life with paths and its tarot keys that would extend and modify the Kircher tree rather than replace it entirely. In this respect, all the first-order path workings could remain intact. There was a minor conceptual problem in that the new design actually required 25, rather, to 24 paths, which meant that we needed a null for one letter, number attribution, that's path 34, and this turned out to be a fortunate opportunity to include infinity, the square root of minus one, as a super final beyond omega 800 path 33, in an endless loop, it would also precede the first character in our neo-Canaanite magical alphabet, Crotter. Well, that's an X with a top and a bottom on it, equals zero path 35. I could have opted for five new paths, leaving the cursory arrangement virtually intact. But this seemed inelegant and, and unnecessary. The lovers, soulmates united. The emperor, universal kingship achieved. The fool, innocence recovered, are all appropriate as post-abyss realizations. And then the Kircher arrangement, they cross the abyss at tangent angles in any case. And by placing the princess between Bina and Kether, I mean the priestess, as you were, but placing the priestess between Bina and Kether, and the magician between Hokma and Kepper, with the fool coming straight up the middle pillar, we have created such a harmonious supernal family that I find it difficult to understand why something like this was not suggested years ago. I was relieved to discover that the 11-sphere sequence would not affect our traditional number-to-sphere attributions along the flaming sword or lightning flash, if we use the logical expedient of attributing zero to Kether. As mechanically simple as this appears, the philosophical implications it produces are nonetheless profound. Hokma and Bina, the Western yin-yang, are now one and two, which seems more appropriate. This um, Silverado arrangement lends more importance to the divine feminine principle than previous Kabbalistic progressions. However, if we need traditional justification, we can cite Ira Kaplan's definitive Sephiroth Zura commentary, in which he states that the ancient rabbis believed God himself could not be numbered because he was beyond the limits of his creation. This idea 
preceded the advent of zero as an integer in mathematics. So we are in harmony with the venerable Kabbalists when we now assign our numberless number to Kether. Moving the planetary attribution of Saturn from Binah down to Da'ah was the inspiration of Frater I-D-O-M-M-E. And after the fact, it seems perfectly obvious. Saturn, to the ancients, was the last of the planets before the realm of the fixed stars, which now becomes Binah. Saturn was considered the planet of death and resurrection, the obvious resonance of Moot, the Canaanite Dark Lord, and the right location for the abyss, replicating the position of the veil between Ashia, Yitzira, and Yasan. Conversely, Binah, which was always the realm of the supernal mother, is more properly attributed to the great celestial goddess of the zodiac, Asherat of the sea, Soma Sophia, or Nuit, in the Egyptian and the Ptolemic pantheons. With the rationale and mechanics of our new structure set forth, we have reached the point in our discussion where the symbolism of the three new trumps can be explained. First, in our new order, is Path 33, Conquest, leading from Gabura to Da'ath and attributed to Omega, which equals 800, the last letter in our 24-character hermetic magical alphabet. And the central figure is the Canaanite war goddess Anath, and she stands in triumph upon the bodies of her fallen foes, the unbalanced demonic aspects of the four elements, capricious air, dissolute water, wrathful fire, and sloth forth. Behind her stands a ruined temple, symbolizing her victory over the bondage of earthly religious dogma, and the burning fortress connotes her mastery over opposing earthly socio-political restrictions. Her necklace of human heads represents previous incarnations remembered, and the girdle of human hands signifies the deeds of those lifetimes accepted and reconciled. The skull cup is an offering of our own mortality to the higher principle, and the bloody hook sword is the means of severance with which she cuts all bonds to the ego-centered physical universe. Her wings carry the victorious goddess from Mars to Saturn on the path of the supernal warrior. And this Tarot key is attributed to the element of Earth, a vital hermetic correspondence missing in the previous tarot arrangements. Second in our sequence is Path 34, alchemy, leading from Hesed to Da'ath, and attributed to infinity, which equals the square root of minus one, a no between the end and the beginning of our magical alphabet. The central figures, the Canaanite blacksmith god, Kothor and Cassus, the biblical Tubal Cain. He forms a middle pillar between Jachin and Boaz, the traditional columns at the entrance of Solomon's temple. Overhead spans an arch depicting the vault of the heavens as the signs of the zodiac and the mystic keystone representing it. 
infinity. Beyond Kothar is the alchemist's furnace, the Apanor, with its pelican terminating in a crucible into which the essence of a distillation is precipitated. And in the foreground is the quenching bath, marked with the elevable symbols of the four primal alchemical operations, mercury solution, sulfur calcination, salt separation, spirit conjunction. This tarot trump itself is attributed to sulfur as a symbol representing the entire alchemical process. Kofar wears a Masonic Blue Lodge apron signifying his role as a spiritual artificer. His jeweled girdle is the mystic belt of Orion, whose stars can be seen above the distillation coil, in this case, Simon Chia's fusion of the five elements. His lament is the caduceus of Hermes, which represents the mystery of the chakras and the nadis. And the sapphire jewel of said, the third eye, is mounted in the headband he wears on his brow. He holds up the philosopher's stone, the perfection of the great work, which is nothing less than a synthesis of his purified chakras, the eternal chariot of his immortal soul. The third and penultimate of our keys is path 35, unity, rising from Tipperet to Da'ath. To this trump we assign the letter Crotter, which equals zero, which connotes the Holy Grail, the jade-green female figure sitting in a meditative asana is the goddess Astarte. Her body contains nine of the vital chakras from Malkuth up to Hokmah with Kether shining as a brilliance emanating from the center of the universe just above her aperture of Brahman. And these chakras are attributed to the spheres following the course of the flaming sword or lightning flash. Mina and Hokmah are located in the right and left hemispheres of the brain. We depict both of them graphically as one yin-yang design on the left side of Astarte's head. Da'af is located at the portion of the brain called the corpus callosum, and it is shown on the right side of Astarte's head. Hesed is the third eye in the forehead. Gabura resides in the throat, tipper up in the chest, net sock in the solar plexus, hod just above the navel, yasad in the genitalia, and malkuth in the perineum. And the Western Psychic Center arrangement was first revealed in 1975 and published in the Seventh Ray, Volume 4, Number 2, Whole Number 19, 1978. Revised versions in Chapter 9, the Hermetic Caduceus from the Book of Solomon's Magic, 1996. Astarte sits in a vast ocean of living water germinating spermatozoa coming down from the stars, and they swim up into her womb in an endless cycle of regeneration. And beyond her head blooms the great Hermetic Mandala of the universe the Enneosphere, which conveys the inner meaning of the Hermetic Rose Cross, befitting her path position in the middle pillar above Tipperith. <laughs> Astarte, like her sister, the Tibetan goddess Green Tara, internalizes the complete mystic path of spiritual attainment, 
And this prompt is appropriately attributed to the element of spirit. Now, as Father Solomon has reminded me, this new arrangement will impact our HGA magical retreat procedure. The anchorite will now be required to ritually access these new paths as part of the spiritual journey. The second order path where he's using Kutor's boat on this symbolism shall be forthcoming. Now, I want to make a note on that because that we, we decided that was not a very good idea. And the reason why that is this. The Holy Guardian Angel Retreat comes after the second degree and is still very much um, in the tree below Tipperet. And you're, we're still very much using the Kircher tree. Also, the entire Holy Guardian Angel operation is is in the sphere of Malkuth. It's using all the spheres, but in the sphere of Malkuth. Therefore, to go ahead and, and have you uh, moving up uh, moving up into the 11th sphere tree, we didn't think was a good idea. And another aspect of that is that uh, the Holy Guardian Angel Retreat should be completely traditional. There shouldn't be, uh, we shouldn't be using special uh, special OTA configurations in that because that that should we should stay as close to tradition as possible. So we decided that that modifying the tree for the Holy Guardian Angel Retreat would not be would not be appropriate at that level. I just want to make that clear, so when you get the article, you'll you'll realize that. Um, and uh, now I'm going to read some of the footnotes on this. This Frater um, IDOMME, uh, the Adiosendian Lodge in Brantford, Connecticut, recently developed a Phoenician font for the OTA. We used uh, in the diagram accompanying this article, and. Second footnote, my colleague and mentor Frederick Adams developed a pagan 11-sphere tree of life with 28 paths using a more radical departure from the culture design. Adams, and Adams placed uh, female and male trumps in each sphere, assigning pip cards to paths. And this design was published in Corathalia, uh, Volume 5, Number 4, 1975, and in the Cincinnati Journal of Ceremonial Magic. Now, footnote number three is further speculation on the implications of this configuration should be the subject of a separate paper. The interested reader can get a leg up on the process by reviewing Crowley's Naples arrangement in 777 and the Book of Foth and also his zero equals two equation in Magic Without Tears. And certainly the geometric matrix from which all tree of life designs arise, the Tetrachus of Pythagoras, as explained and diagrammed by Frederick Adams in Appendix 2 of The Secrets of the Golden Dawn Cipher Manuscript, 1997, which I will be reading to you now. Frankly, trying to grasp all of what I have just said while you're, uh, without looking at the material, uh, the diagrams and the cards and the, and the diagrams and all, uh, is going to be difficult. So that is, uh, frankly, uh, that should be an inducement for you to go and and uh, get bring in the red right. And uh, while you're at it, you, you you 
might bring in the Cypher Manuscript book, too, because uh, you really want to get deep into this. You you really need the uh, the original uh, the original Golden Dawn origins of all this thing. So, with that in mind, I'm going to read to you the appendix from the Cypher Manuscript, which will discuss the uh, the nature of the matrix, the matrix from which all valid tree of life designs must arise. Okay. Appendix 2, the cipher manuscript and uh, the secret path system. I have decided to deal at greater length with the secret path system in an appendix for two reasons. First, a lengthy discussion would have interrupted the flow of the commentary, and secondly, we could indulge more fully in speculation outside the main text. First, let us establish the position of the Da'af tree in the rituals. The newer Stella Matutina scripts do not mention it, but if you consult Torrens or the complete Golden Dawn system of magic, you will find in the last section of the four equals seven initiation, the following speech delivered by the Hierius. Quote, On this tablet is shown the paths, one arranged with Da'at, added to the separatic tree. It differs from the other and more usual attributions. Furthermore, it is not so correct as Da'at is not properly speaking a separat. I don't think anyone outside of the New Zealand has seen that particular tablet in its original configuration for over a hundred years. Neither Torrens nor Rigardi gave any graphic representation of it, and in the Stella Matutina it simply ceased to exist. According to Pat Zaleski, the Wari Ra Temple originally issued a paper by Mathers on the Tree of Light with Da'at. In Wari Ra, the concept became identified with the Garden of Eden and was called the Tree of Life before the Fall. The New Zealand version of Mather's Tarot Lecture has a full-page drawing of the Da'af tree with the tarot trumps assigned to the paths as indicated in the cipher manuscript. Oh, we have it here, too. It's at C figure 3. Now, before we get into the intricacies of this scheme, let us stand back and take a long view of where it fits and how important it is, or it was. This is necessary because we have all been raised on the Athanasius 1654 version of the Archim, the Tree of Life, from his magnum opus, Oedipus Aegypticus, see figure one. Now, we should recall that the cipher manuscript, the cipher manuscript's initiatory scheme follows Kircher's paths, not the radical 11-sphere design and the, golden, and the Golden Dawn helped to make this familiar configuration virtually universal in modern times. However, there were a number of different arrangements favored by Jewish and Christian capitalists during the Renaissance and Baroque periods. Now let us remember that the Golden Dawn derived its Kabbalah from two primary sources. Wynne Westcott's secret version of the Sephiroth Zura and Samuel Mather's translation of Knorr von Rosenroth's Luriatic Kabbalah de Nudata. 
The Minutum Mundum, Tree of Life design that modern magicians are familiar with, comes directly from Kircher, while the Secret Path system is an earlier 16th century Isaac Luria design found in the Kabbalistic drawings of Rosenrod. And we have that picture too. Now, what is important about Rosenroth's Lurianic version of the Sephirotic tree is that it incorporates the mysterious 11th sphere, as not as something hypothetical drawn with phantom lines behind the, the 13th path, but as an integral part of his design with paths ending in it and emerging from it. Rosenroth, and by influence Isaac Luria, uh, via Israel Saran, shows a tree with 11 actual spheres instead of the usual 10. Now let us also recall that Isaac Lurie, the, the Isaac Luria school was considered the most practical and effect magical system of the Kabbalah. At this point, you might be saying to yourself, well, so what? We've seen off-time designs with Doth, Phantom Din as the gateway to the abyss, and we know that Doth means knowledge in Hebrew. So what is so important about a tree of life that recognizes Doth? Well, a secret tree not only recognizes Doth, it accesses it, calling it the tree of life before the fall. This was an inspiration. That concise title communicates volumes of meaning. In our individual microcosms, for instance, how much of our psychic capacities have we lost in the fall from childhood innocence? Using this analogy, one might say that the secret tree is C.S. Lewis's wardrobe or Alice's looking glass or Dorothy's magic slippers. And here we have a direct access to the Briatic dimension. To use a physical plane analogy, we have the course coordinates to navigate through a black hole. And not only did Luria von Rosen, via von Rosenroth, give us the chart, but they also provided the formulas. The von Rosenroth listed a tetragrammaton permutation in absolute. He gave us a holy name, and hitherto unknown archangel, Shumiel, in Bria, and I think it's safe to assume that these correspondences are also Lurianic and not inventions of Rosenrock. Now, the Golden Dawn gives us a color scale for the Phantom Sphere in the four dimensions, Absolute, Pale Lavender, Bria, Gray-White, Azura, Pure Violet, and Ashia, Gray, Flecked with Gold. I will conjecture that at one time there was an effort to develop this into a practical secret path system, probably initiated by Mathers himself. Perhaps the Doth color scale is another telltale clue pointing in this direction. And another is the design of the Hierophant's wand. It obviously represents the middle pillar with the Sephira of Doth included as if it were actually there. Now, it may have been the original intention of the Cypher Manuscripts author or authors to use this Lurianic von Rosenroth design as an alternative inner order system. But the Golden Dawn under Westcott and Mathers relegated the 11th sphere tree to the status of a minor corollary. Later, Temple Chiefs treated it as an historical curiosity and finally managed to forget it entirely. Now, we may speculate that their preference was motivated 
by the more stable aspects of Kircher's design and Agrippa's declaration that 11 was an evil number. If there was a flying roll on the secret tree, it may have been allowed to disappear for the reasons stated above, and the actual danger involved in attempting an astral journey through the dark gate. More, more practically, it would have required a serious dislocation of the minutum mundum structure that the Golden Dawn had worked so diligently to install in the cerebral viscera of its members. Remember, in Western theory and practice, everything is reality and one system encompasses all. As above, so below. As Pat Selesky put it, some temples left it out due to confusion. To jump over to another archive arrangement would not bother a Tibetan in the least, but it would have been different for most, especially in the Victorian era. Very difficult. Today, however, magical students are less credulous and more flexible. In the age of science fiction, computers, and virtual reality, we can grasp the concept of a parallel world or a different operating system that is similar but not identical to the familiar one. We can enter that world dimension or install that operating system via a ritual gate and temporarily operate within its altered structure. And we can do this without burning our cabalistic bridges or destroying uh, or resorting to the extreme reductionism of chaos magic. And I believe the key to this process lies in the figure of the universal hexagram. Alistair Crowley did not invent that figure. It was first developed by Giordano Bruno, but Crowley was certainly fascinated by its possibilities. I think he was on the verge of discovering its evocative potential. Regardi picked up the thread and developed a modern hexagram ritual using the universal star to replace Mather's more complex version derived from the key of Solomon the King. I strongly suspect that somewhere in the cluttered attic of Crowley's mind, the secret path system and the key to open it was hidden. Evidence for this can be seen in the photo of his own personal what kind diagram reproduced in 777. This drawing obviously dates from Crowley's early years, and it shows all of Rosenroth's Lurianic paths and a universal hexagram centered on Da'af. One more universal hexagram centered on Tipperath, and we would have had the geometric magical power circuit for opening and activating the alternate tree of life in the highest, higher dimensions. Deeper speculation into this nonverbal geometric realm of natural philosophy led me back to the original matrix, which had given birth to all the versions of the art crime and also Solomon's triangle of art, the Tetrachus of Pythagoras. I recall that my venerable mentor, Frederick Adams, had at one time worked on a series of diagrams to prove this point. And See figure five. I consulted with Adams, showing him the Rosenroth drawing and the page from the ciphers. He was fascinated with the secret tree, not only because it had been hidden in the cipher manuscript, but for another reason. Adams had arrived at a similar design himself some years back. He sent me 
to the archives for my 1975, Volume 5, Number 4 issue of the Ferroferian Journal, Corathalia, and on page 5 was a beautiful drawing of an 11-spirit tree, see figure 6, to describe this design. Now I can do no better than to quote Adams directly. Shahalura and Paolo Rovisi revealed the hidden temple of an orchard in the celestial kingdom, and they show the true tree as the nymph body of the galaxy. The pillar dexter bears the orbital spheres of the masculine divinities, Zeus, Ares, and Hermes, and the pillar sinister bears the orbital spheres of the feminine divinities, Demeter, Saturnia, Aphrodite, Ellipsis, Psyche, Nodes, Arabian Parts, and Celestial Hiding Places. The Pillar Central, who is transsexual feminine, bears the spheres of the intercosmic portal, black and white holes. For each of the 11 spheres, there are two tarot trumps, male and female. For each of the 28 manifested branches, there are two tarot suits, arcana, male and female. And the 29th branch between the Galaxy Central and the intercosmic event horizon is the unmanifest singularity beyond even the event horizon lies the mytho-infinite continent of the parocosm, the home of the supernal archonite. Adams has added six paths. Crowley's nascent design also suggests an extra six. This is all well and good, for those using the Arabic alphabet, but the Lurianic Rosenroth secret path system stays with the traditional 22. This does not make the foliating of our secret tree somewhat easier, but before we climb up into the branches or send our snake up ahead of us, we should recall that even though we have a four-color scale for Doth, our paths will now have to be recolored via the original generative formula in all four dimensions. And for practical purposes, we could get by with the reconstructed minutum mundum paths equal absolutes, separate equal, equal bria. But the entire scheme should be worked out in all four scales first. Inspired by these possibilities and seeking a compromise that would not affect the lower paths of the standard tree, we created a new composite octime design by adding three paths accessing dot. And our new tree still maintains its basic numerical sequence because Kepler becomes zero. God was said to exist beyond this, the concept of number, according to our Kepler. And this reassigns Saturn to Doth, while Bria becomes the realm of the fixed stars, an elegant arrangement. This has also resulted in the creation of three new tarot trumps, conquest, alchemy, and unity. And then it says, see the seventh grade, uh, book two, which we've already read. By the way, that's book seventh grade, book two. If I said book three, I was, I was just thinking that's the last one we published. This is book two. Uh, in closing this discussion, let us let me suggest that we should not consider this 11th spirit tree a minor unimportant curiosity in the cipher manuscript. The Da'at concept dates back to the 13th century and was an essential aspect of Luria's 16th century school. It is true that the ancient authors of the Sephiroth Zura insisted that the Sephiroth were ten and only ten, and I'll quote. 
10 are the numbers out of nothing, 10 and not the number 9, 10 and not 11. Comprehend this great wisdom, understand this knowledge, inquire into it, and ponder on it, render it evident, and lead the Creator back to His throne again. But even in this strong injunction, there seems to be an invitation to journey beyond the limits set by counting up the number of one's fingers. In 777, Curly notes that 11 is the first of the prime numbers and the general number of magic or energy tending to change. It is likewise true that the unknown authors of the Sevriyad Zira and their Gnostic Neoplatonic predecessors had arrived at something like the Big Bang Theory by pure revelation. But it should also be remembered that in the 3rd century CE, they had no concept of zero as an operative number or of, or of vortex holes in the time-space continuum. If they had, perhaps the concept of an 11th sphere, sphere would have emerged a thousand years sooner. Now, what we didn't stress here, and I am going to correct that right now, we did not stress that this this grid, this this Pythagorean grid, that that uh, that comes from the Tetrakis, which we have in the Cipher Manuscript book on page two thirty five, it's Appendix uh, two, Figure five. Tree of Life derived from the Tetrakis of Pythagoras, designed by Frederick Adams and Ferrofaria, courtesy of Frederick Adams. And it, um, what I've got, what I've done here is I put the the Golden Dawn. Well, actually, our tree too, because all the paths and all of the spheres fit on this grid. And you can, uh, you note that the Kircher and Luria designs, with all their paths, emanate from this master grid. Also, note that Solomonic and unicursal hexagram forms are generated throughout. And along with the distorted pentagram, the Crowley used to trace his own design from 777. When you look at this in the book, you realize that the only, you can have any version of the tree of life you want, providing it fits on this grid. And if it does, then then it's valid. And, uh, and by the way, Leonora Leet has done the same thing. She's done the same thing with a um, uh, with a square with a with, with a with a square in her book, uh, The Secret Doctor of the Kabbalah. Leonora Leonora Leet uh, was Ira Kaplan's disciple, um, so you might say she is probably the ranking the ranking theoretical Kabbalist uh, on this side of the pond, if not in the Western world. Uh, so, uh, we're just about out of time, and uh, I hope that this is stimulated. I know there's a lot of information here, and uh, I hope it encourages you to get both these books. Now, remember that Seventh Ray, as I said, that's book two. That's not book three. Seventh Ray, book two, The Red Ray. And, uh, and the Secrets of the Golden Dawn Cipher Manuscript, both are on Amazon. And, and you really want to understand this very, very exciting concept, I surely suggest that you, that you get them and bring them in. Now, uh, next week, we're going to have a whole new show, and we'll have uh, hopefully have ourselves a very exciting guest. And, and uh, so, uh, until then, good magic, and we'll see you next week.